All right. Well, we've been talking about uh, the Word of God almost all year, and we've been going through a curriculum together as small groups called 40 Days in the Word. And uh, how many of you have been enjoying those small groups? Yeah, they've been really good. Uh, I, I expect some of my small group people to be extra happy. Okay, it's been great. We've had a lot of fun with it and are planning on doing that over the next few weeks. And uh, just recognizing the importance of God's Word and, and all those different things. And this week I wanted, my message is called Illumination. And it has to do with God illuminating His Word that we can understand and perceive what it's saying, what He's trying to tell us through His Word. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that, to lead us in that. I thought about calling today's message, Batteries Not Included. Christmas is coming, and if you have little children, you will undoubtedly be spending money on batteries. What happens? We get the toy, right, kids? And there's no batteries with it, and it's just not as cool until we get the batteries. That's right. Then once you get the batteries, the toy operates like it's supposed to, and it's a lot more fun. Unless it was a Tickle Me Elmo. Then the batteries mysteriously disappeared very quickly. But uh, the idea being that God's Word, in a way, can be like that. It's, we need more than just the text on the page. See, we talked about this. We quoted D.L. Moody a few weeks ago where he says, The Bible wasn't given just for your information. It was given for your transformation. There's a power that comes with the Word of God. So it's not just a collection of writings that we read for informational purposes, but we read it in order that the Spirit of God might ignite in us and bring illumination to His Word that we might see what God is saying to us in His Word. I want to begin today talking out of John chapter 14. Jesus, before He he was crucified, He was talking to His disciples, and He said, But the Helper... Who is the helper? The Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send in my name. He will do what? Teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit God has given to us that that we we can learn from him, that out of these teachings that Jesus has given us and his entire word, we can come to a place of understanding what it is he's trying to say to us. But we need God to do it. This is a book that we can read and have a conversation with the author at the same time. You can have a relationship and an ongoing conversation with the author of the Word of God to get his intention and the revelation he wants to bring. Are you with me this morning? In John chapter 16, a couple chapters later, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you. Notice there the role of the Holy Spirit, a guiding role into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to guide us in illumination and revelation of God. He will glorify me. Speaking of Jesus, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We, we, we need the Holy Spirit declaring, teaching, guiding, bringing us into truth as we're exploring God's word and reading what God has said. I do not cease to give thanks for you, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do your, does your heart literally have eyes that need to be opened? No. What is the metaphorical or uh, the, what, he is, what he's alluding to here? That we would be able to discern, to perceive, to understand at a soul level that we would be able to know what God has called us to. That there would be an illumination that we could see with the eyes of our heart. Which of course is not a literal seeing. But it's about seeing in the spiritual. God wants to wake us up so we can see things spiritually. We're in a spiritual world. Our lives are in a spiritual context. Our physical realm has been born out of a spiritual context. God is spirit and he breathed the physical into existence. And we want to be able to perceive and understand and know God's heart from that angle. So we need the eyes of our heart open. And so if may give us, that God may give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. We need God's revelation as a part of our process of reading his word. It's more than just a text. It's, it's alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. How do we get it to that point where it's having that kind of impact and that kind of power in our lives? We have to invite the spirit of God to lead us in it that we might see what it is saying. That word enlightened is the word photizo which sounds a lot like photo, photograph is where we get the word photograph, that imprinting of light on something. It's to, it's to illuminate, to shine on something. See, we, sometimes when you're reading your Bible, you run across a verse that you've read a dozen times, and all of a sudden it goes, bam, aha, light bulb, right? And we go, oh, I see this in a way I've never seen it before. God is speaking to me through this scripture. He's reminding me of something that's very relevant in the moment, and the Spirit is active, where I see something in a way that I never saw before, because God enlightens. He brings light to. He shines light on so that we can see clearly. Some, we, we need God's Word because what He does through His Word in enlightening us and shining light on it and revealing things to us, He helps us along our journey. And He teaches us, as we've seen. And I want to look at a few of the ways that the Word of God instructs us or enlightens us or what it shows us. When we allow God to begin to open our eyes, number one, we see solutions to our problems. See, we believe that the Word of God is sufficient. We call it the sufficiency of Scripture. It's a basic theological concept. And it's the idea that the Word of God is sufficient for all I need in my relationship with God and a life of godliness. It instructs me in everything else that I need. How do I know about salvation? The Word. How do I know about the Holy Spirit? The Word. How do I know about anything about anything about right and wrong in my relationship with God? The Word of God. It is sufficient for me in all that I need in life. I don't need additional documentation. I don't need additional other things to actually get me to the truth. I have everything I need within the Scripture. And when God begins to enlighten us or illuminate things in His Word, He begins to give us solutions to our problems. And I want to tell you the story today, many stories, and I'm going to blow through these pretty quickly, and they're mostly going to be paraphrased. So you'll want to go back and take notes and, and uh, uh, maybe take a look at these stories later in depth. And I also want to mention... 
if you ever want my outline or my notes where all the passages, because I know I go through a lot of scriptures uh, in one Sunday, and sometimes we lose track of those. If you ever want those, uh, be sure and email me. I'm happy to send those to you so you can go back and refer to those stories and, and that kind of thing. Anyway, in Genesis chapter 21, uh, we see the story of Hagar and Ishmael. And to understand the story of Hagar and Ishmael, you have to understand the story of Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son, and, he, and all the world is going to be blessed because of him. That was a paraphrase. <laughs> and Abraham's like, that's a problem. I'm like 90 years old. And my wife's old too. And his wife's like, yeah, this is a problem. And so Sarah, Abraham's wife, says, you're old. I'm old. Why don't you take my maidservant, Hagar, this woman that's helping me with my life, why don't you take her and have a baby with her, and that baby will be the fulfillment of the promise. And we don't get an argument from Abraham, and he has a baby with Hagar. And she names that baby Ishmael. Now God, Abraham goes to God, and hey, God, here's the promised child, Ishmael, just like you promised. And God said, that wasn't my plan. That was your plan. You did that. I didn't do that. Ishmael is not the heir of the promise that I've instructed to you. Whoops. Well, then a few years later, Sarah becomes pregnant. And in her old age, she bears her son, Isaac. And Isaac eventually is the father of Jacob. And Jacob's name gets turned to Israel. These are the forefathers of Israel. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. The 12 tribes come from Jacob, etc., etc. Well, there's a rivalry that develops between Hagar and Sarah. There's tension. So I want to pick up the story in verse 14 of chapter 21. They kick Hagar and Ishmael out. Very sad moment. And the story gets very sad. Early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and a skin of water, and put them on Hagar's shoulders and sent her away with the boy. She left. And wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bowshot away. For she said, I cannot bear to watch the boy die. And she sat nearby. And as she sat nearby, she lifted her voice and wept. She's been sent away. They're about to die of thirst. She puts the boy underneath the bush somewhere and walks away and sits down because she can't bear to watch her son die. She's weeping. Then God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, What is wrong, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he lies. Get up, lift up the boy, and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation." Something that he had promised Isaac as well, of Isaac. Then, key words, God opened her eyes. God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. What did that actually look like in real time that he opened her eyes? Was she literally blind? Probably not. She couldn't perceive that there was water in this location. We don't exactly know how it happened. But God did it. He opened her eyes that she could see what she needed to overcome her current situation. She was crying. 
She thought it was over and defeated. And she begins to cry to God, and God opens her eyes and provides a solution to her problem. When we're reading God's word, when we're seeking God, we're counting on God to open our eyes to find solutions to the challenges in life that we're facing. Coincidentally, Ishmael becomes the father of all the Arab nations that you know today. And he's still discussed in the Muslim world as the actual heir to the promise. Very interesting that God did indeed fulfill making a great nation out of Ishmael, and he did. God opens our eyes to see the solutions to our problems. God opens our eyes to see the barriers to our progress. Have you ever, we we call it beating your head against the wall. Like over and over and over, we're trying to get somewhere with something, and we're just constantly met with resistance. There are barriers to what we want to do sometimes. And we try and we try to make it happen, and it doesn't happen. Well, God's Word, God can open our eyes, bring enlightenment that the eyes of our heart, that we would perceive the things that are resisting us. I want to tell you the story of Balaam. Balaam was a prophetic guy. And the Israelites were uh, in the neighborhood, and I believe it was the Moabites didn't like them there. And so they go to Balaam and they say, Balaam, we want you to put a curse on these Israelites. Now, Balaam was a prophet of sorts. And Balaam says, I can't do that. I can only do what God tells me to. And anyway, they negotiate a little bit and God intervenes. And Balaam ends up going with these guys on a journey where they want him to curse the Israelites. Well, they're on their way and Balaam's riding a donkey. And the donkey along the way, sees the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn in the road. And Balaam can't see him. He can't see the angel. And you know what that highly intelligent donkey did? He got off the road. He ran off into a field. And you know what Balaam did? Like most of us guys would do if our donkey did this? He beat the donkey. He hops off the donkey, starts beating the donkey, what the heck, donkey? What's the deal? We've got to get going down the road. The donkey's like, I ain't going down that road. I wonder if the donkey sounded like the donkey on Shrek. Anyway, there'll be more about that in a moment. Well, Balaam get, coaxes the donkey back on the road. The angel goes back down the road further, and it says the angel stood between two walls of vineyards. There's like a wall of a vineyard here and a wall of a vineyard here, and the angel standing there. And again, the donkey sees the angel, but Balaam can't see it. And the donkey tries squeezing by the angel against one of the walls so hard that it crushes Balaam's foot. Balaam's ticked now. And guess what he does? Beats the donkey again. We get angry sometimes when we don't get our way, don't we? Well, the angel backs up further. Balaam coaxes the donkey down the road. I mean, this is almost makings for a joke, isn't it? Just step one, step two, step three. Well, the angel stands in a place in the road where there ain't no squeezing by. And you know what the donkey did? The donkey just laid down in the road. The donkey's like, man, I ain't going down that road. I'd try my Eddie Murphy voice, but I better not for now. Balaam starts beating the donkey. And you know what the donkey did? The Bible tells us. The donkey did speak. The donkey spoke to Balaam and said, why are you beating me? And you know what's even as interesting as the donkey speaking? Balaam starts talking back to the donkey. And they have a little conversation. And then I'm going to pick up 
here in verse 31 of Numbers 22. Then the Lord, key words, opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face, Balaam did. Balaam suddenly saw what was actually going on when God opened his eyes to show him what the barrier was to where he wanted to go. So often we need God. We're trying to get somewhere and something's resisting us and we need God to enlighten us. And I might also point out that it wasn't the devil resisting Balaam, was it? It was God. And oftentimes I think we're trying to force our way into something that's not God and yet and he resists us and we think it's the devil. And so we go to war against God. What do we really need in that moment? We need the power of the Holy Spirit and the enlightenment of his will to show us what is resisting us. Whether it's God, whether it's us, whether it's our enemy, whatever it is, we need wisdom from God to know. We need him to open our eyes like he did Balaam's to show what is in the way. God can help us see the barriers to our progress. What else can we see? We can see... God's defenses for us. That God has a defense for us in certain situations. I want to tell you the story of Elisha and the Arameans. Arameans are always harassing Israel. They're attacking. They have these raiding bands. And and, uh, Elisha is the prophet of God. He's a very powerful man. And he speaks on behalf of God. So everywhere these Arameans go, their plans are foiled. Because God keeps telling Elisha where they're going to attack next. And where they're going to camp next. And Elisha tells the king and the armies of Israel. And their plans are continually foiled. And the Aramean king finally pulls his people together and goes, Who's the spy? Who keeps telling Israel what we're going to do so that they keep ruining all of our plans? And they say, well, it isn't one of us. It's the man of God. It's Elisha. And the king says, where is Elisha? Well, he's in this place called Dothan. Let's go to Dothan and take him out. And so the, the Aramean army marches to Dothan, and they surround the city. And Elisha's servant gets up in the morning, and he looks out the window or the door or whatever, and he panics. And he runs to his master. What are we going to do? And then it says, in ver- we're in 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to focus on verses 17 and 20 particularly. But in verse 17, it says, Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Okay, Elisha's servant, uh, Elisha prays for him and says, God, open his eyes, please. And, and he opens his eyes and he sees that the hills, okay, we're, we're, he's like seeing in the spirit somehow, and he sees that the hills all around, Uh, are full of horses and chariots of fire. He he opens his spiritual eyes to suddenly see that those are for us or a lot more than are against us. What does that do? It alleviates our fear. God can open our eyes to see his defense of us and the plans that he has, that we don't need to be afraid of the things that come against us in the natural because God is for us. Who could be against us? Do we really believe that when Romans teaches us that? If God is for us, who could be against us? 
And Elisha understood this, and he prayed, and his eyes were opened, and he could see. And the rest of the story is actually interesting about sight as well. Elisha then prays and says, Lord, please blind this army. And God blinds the army. Now, I don't know if he physically blinded them, because I don't quite get the impression that's exactly how it worked, but he definitely took away their perception of the reality of the situation. And they come into the city, and, and Elisha pulls a Jedi mind trick, and he's like, these aren't the men you're looking for. These aren't the droids you're looking for, right? They, the army comes in, and that's what he does. He goes, you're in the wrong place. And they're like, oh. And he's like, here, I'll show you where you should go. And he leads them to Samaria, which is the capital. And the whole Israeli army and king are there. And then when they come into the city, God, then he prays, God, now open their eyes. And God opens their eyes. And they go, oh, wow, we're in Samaria, surrounded by the Israeli army. Uh-oh. And the king and the army is there. And the king says, Father, shall we slay them? Elisha says, no, put food and drink in front of them. They showed them mercy that day, and the Arameans went home, and they did not invade Israel again. Would you? <laughs> After an experience like that? No, they showed mercy, and the Arameans responded well to that situation. But all of this idea of opening the eyes and closing the eyes of what God does, we need to pray that God enlightens us, that we might see things in the Spirit, see how he would defend us, what he's doing to be with us. Which brings me to my next point. God shows us, he opens the eyes of our heart, he enlightens us, he brings illumination out of his word so that we can see that he is with us. He is with us. Right now in this moment, he is with us. His spirit is in us. He's all around us. God is with us. And he shows us that through illumination. I want to talk about the story of the road to Emmaus, or the walk to Emmaus, some people call it. Emmaus was a small community about seven miles out of Jerusalem. On the evening that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, two of his disciples, some of his followers, were walking to Emmaus. And Jesus comes up alongside them, the resurrected Christ, and they do not recognize him. They were kept from recognizing him. They couldn't perceive who he was. Makes me wonder what he looked like. Did his appearance change? I don't know. I don't really understand, but I know that they could not understand that it was Jesus. The eyes of their heart could not perceive who he really was in that moment. And he comes up and he walks alongside them. He says, what are you talking about? I hear you talking amongst yourselves. What are you discussing? And they're like, where have you been? All these events have been going on in Jerusalem. Are you new to town? I'm paraphrasing. We thought Jesus was the Messiah, but they killed him. And then Jesus says, are you foolish? And then we pick up in verse, let's see, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them. Do you hear illumination in those words? Revelation in those words? Teaching in those words? God instructing his people in those words, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He began to open their eyes. He began to show them who he was in the scripture. They couldn't perceive it, but he could, and he did, and he showed them. And he began to teach them. And this story goes, it, it still falls in, uh, it's still interesting in terms of being able to see because Jesus continues to walk with them. They don't know who he is. They come to Emmaus, and they beg him to stay with them. 
So they go in to stay the night, and they gather together, and they're going to break bread. And when Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes are opened, and they recognized him. And do you know what he did? Poof. He vanished from their sight in an instant. And they were so excited about it, they got up immediately that evening and went straight back to Jerusalem, seven miles away, to testify, no doubt, to the rest of the disciples what they had seen. Jesus opened their eyes. He opened their eyes. He was with them the whole time. They didn't even know it until he revealed it to them. And so often we're walking through the difficulties and the journeys in life and we don't recognize that the whole time Jesus has been with us. Until the moment we see him in the word or in a moment when his spirit whispers to us and we realize, wait, you were there the whole time. You were with me the entire time. Jesus promised us when he left in Matthew 28, 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Till he returns, he is with us. His Spirit is with us. And we constantly want to be in this state of, of, of recognizing or, or asking God, God, show me where you're at work. Show me that you're with me. Be with me. Help me understand that you're with me. Because we need Him with us in everything that we do. All right, so what, what do we need to do? We want illumination from God. We want Him to show us what's in His Word. We want revelation. We want that, all that, that that He has for us. How do we do that? We've, we've got to posture ourselves to receive from God. And the first thing I want to say that we've got to have in order to get the illumination from God is we have to have relationship with God. We have to have an actual relationship with God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Who's we? Those that have believed. These are spiritually discerned things. They're foolishness to the natural person. Indeed, he cannot accept them. They're folly. Uh, He cannot understand them. I don't want to be in that position of not understanding. I don't want to be in the position of this truth being folly to me. How do I get beyond that? I have to be in that relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to be born again. John 3. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Once we're born again and we're, that rebirth takes place and that new creation comes and our spiritual eyes begin to open sleepily and we begin to look around and try and perceive who God is and how God's instructed us then we can begin to understand and have illumination of who God is and his word for our lives. We also need to ask. Don't you ever just expect somebody to know what you want and expect them to get it to you and they never knew that you did? We do that all the time in our relationships. Sometimes we just have to ask. Ask in faith. Faith. 
that God will open our eyes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Psalm 119, verse 18. One of our memory verses from 40 Days in the Word. I want to see the wonderful things. There are wonderful things in His Word. There are wonderful things He wants to reveal to us. We need Him to help us see them. Because sometimes the plain English or Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic doesn't necessarily speak fully to what God is trying to say to us. Because we have limited understanding. We need that illumination. We need to ask in faith for that perception. You are blind until he opens your eyes. Have you noticed that about these stories? None of these people could perceive it till God opened their eyes. None of them. And we are the same way. There is no way that we're going to find illumination without God giving it to us. You're not going to work that out in your flesh. God's the one that brings the illumination. We've got to be asking him in faith for that light to be shed. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. We all lack. We all need wisdom. We all need that revelation. It says, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting, what's he challenging you to ask for? Wisdom, discernment, that your eyes would be open, that you could have understanding of who God is and what God wants. How do we do that? We do that in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will give you counsel and watch over you. Psalm 32, verse 8. God promising that he will do these things. He will instruct us and watch over us, and we need to be asking for that instruction. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. Ultimately talking, I believe, about salvation, really, but that's God's process. He wants that relationship. He wants you before him all the time. He wants you approaching his throne with confidence to receive from him the grace and mercy that you need, right? We need to be going to God all the time, asking for that illumination, that revelation, whatever it is that we need. We need to come with a humble attitude. Humility is in short supply these days. Everyone's right about what they think, and nobody really needs help because they have it figured out. But that's not the posture we can come to God with. We come to God with an attitude of, I don't know. I can't fix it. I don't know what's going on. We have to be able to humble ourselves in that way and come before God. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Psalm 25 Verse 9. It doesn't say he teaches the proud. It doesn't say he teaches the know-it-all. It doesn't say he teaches the arrogant. It doesn't say he teaches... What's the qualifier here? The humble. People that actually will admit that they don't know. People that actually will admit, I don't have the answers. Who does God work with? He works with people with a humble attitude. If we want illumination, we've got to be humble. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on... What should we not lean on? Lean not on... Your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Who knows? He does. Whose understanding should I not be leaning on? Mine. I'm an expert on my own opinion, as Dave Ramsey would say, right? But what is the opinion of God? What does God have to say about a situation? Can I humble myself enough to accept, even if I don't like, what his instruction is? We've got to humble ourselves if we're really going to get that illumination that we want from God's Word and who God is. We need to cleanse our hearts from sin and conflict. A key thing about posturing ourselves is cleansing our hearts, 
cleansing our minds, if we filled our minds with junk, if we filled our hearts with anger and jealousy and deceit and bitterness and lies, all of those things are static in the airwaves of our communication with God. Because we've, we've pulled ourselves out of alignment with God. When I'm in alignment with God, when, when things are in order, it's so much easier to receive. And if Janny and I have a big fight, which we never do, <laughs> I can tell she's laughing behind that mask. And then two seconds later, I'm like, oh, by the way, God, I need some revelation for the message you want me to preach on Sunday. And does God just go jump in there and do it? No. I'm out of alignment. I'm out of order. I'm discombobulated internally. I've got to go and be reconciled to Janny. Or I've got to go deal with whatever situation it is. The Bible teaches us if you're at the altar and you're bringing an offering, but you remember that your brother has something against you, go get it resolved first before you come to God. God wants us to confess our sins. He wants us to seek and grant forgiveness. See, we hold grudges. And grudges are bitter roots in our heart. But we don't really hold grudges. Grudges, sooner or later, they hold us. And I've used this analogy with you many times before, this illustration. But unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It kills you, not them. You've got to find a, a place in your heart to forgive so, so that God can really work with you. But those are things that we put, they're barriers we put in our life. When we allow ourselves to get bitter or sinful in our, you know, if we're addicted to things and we're just serving those things instead of God, they become a barrier between us and getting that illumination from God. Not that God can't override those things. He does all the time. But God wants us to be in alignment with him that he can work with us. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. There is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. What's that? That's the opposite of illumination. When we're in this hateful situation, and hate really means to love less, to not give preference to. When we're not giving preference to our brothers and sisters, when we're rejecting them, those are, those are forms of hate, according to the Scripture. And when we're walking in that, we're, we're in darkness, we're walking in darkness, we don't know where we're going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Blinded whose eyes? The person who's hating his brother. Not forgiving, not working with, not being gracious with, not being humble with, not giving the benefit of the doubt to. All those kinds of things. When we're doing those things against other people, we can't expect God to be bringing us much illumination because we pulled ourselves out of alignment with his way. And it's really important that we get that straight. So uh, I already told the story about um, the guy at the altar, but if we have no sin, okay, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And don't you hear people say, I, I don't have sin. God's grace covered me, and that's true. There's a truth to that, but we, we've got to always be in touch with the fact that we have a depravity at work within us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does God want to do? He wants to cleanse us. How do we do that? By being vulnerable and transparent and getting those misalignments out there so they can be dealt with and forgiven. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Youch. We want to have a pure heart, clear conscience, so that God can work with us and speak to us and illuminate things to us that we can see and perceive. 
Last thing I want to share with you about getting yourself in alignment with God or, or preparing yourself for illumination from Him is we've got to commit in advance to obey. We've got to be committed in advance to obey. God didn't give us His word so that we could just ignore it or disregard it or pretend it doesn't apply to us. But we've got to make up our minds that when God reveals something to us, we've got to be committed to obey it. So often we kind of, I don't think anyone would admit this out loud, but we're like, God, speak to me. And I'll do it if I agree. We do that. We, we take on that position. We only do the things of the Scripture that we agree with. And our natural logic becomes God over the Scripture itself. Our natural understanding, that human nature becomes what determines our point of view rather than the Word of God. But God wants us to commit in advance to obey. We look at uh, Psalm 119, 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And this, we're all doing that. God, teach us, show us, reveal to us, illuminate the way by your Spirit that we can have understanding, and I will keep them to the end. What is the psalmist committing to? God, teach me your ways, and I will keep them. And is that attitude in our hearts when we're looking at the Word of God and we're gaining that illumination? If you illuminate to me, Lord, I will keep your Word. Give me understanding... Yes, we love understanding that I may obey, <laughs> but I have to do it. I actually have to do it. The rubber has to meet the road. Something has to be done with the information, with the revelation, with the illumination that God has given us, and follow it with all my heart. God often will not give us step two and step three and step four of our journey if we're not going to take step one. God shows us, hey, you know, you're like, oh, you know, you think of a young guy like, you know, in, in the 20s, I think back when we were young, and some of us were like, oh, I want to be in ministry, you know, or that's my life, and, you know, I'm going to, you know, what, whatever it was. And God's like, I just want you to deal, it just, it's like this so often. I just want you to, to deal with the simple things. You know, deal with your attitude. Deal with the way you treat others. We're not getting, Jerry, you're not going to be in ministry anytime soon. You've got all of these other steps that you're going to have to obey before you get there. And we do. Have, we got, I'm called to be this or I'm called to be that. But we can't, we're never going to get there when we can't take the first step that God has enlightened to us. He's shown us and instructing us to do. How about you just start by treating your wife decent, JR? How about you just start by reading your Bible on a regular basis? How about, how about you start by just humbling yourself a little bit? And we'll get to those other steps later. If we're not willing to obey at step one, we're never going to see step two or three or four or five in our lives, because we're not willing to obey when God says. But here it is. The, this, this all should lead us to action. James one twenty two. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Do we want to deceive ourselves? No. We need to do what we hear. We need to do what we're taught. There needs to be action associated with what God reveals to us. He's not going to keep in revealing and entrusting us with illumination of his word and great and powerful truths about who he is if we're not going to actually do what he's instructed us to do. Powerful stuff. Would you stand, please? There you go. How was that? Machine gun a little bit. Sorry. If you want those verses, get a hold of me. I'll, I'll let you know. I had to cover a lot of ground quickly today, but you guys, important and valuable things about how to posture ourselves to have the Word of God illuminated to us. Lord, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you for uh, you shedding light on it and instructing us and teaching us and challenging us to obey it. Father, I pray 
for each person in this room today that they would be encouraged and strengthened and motivated to obey your word, to look into it and see what it actually says, and to pray that you would reveal your heart in it, and that you would give even specific instruction to people that are struggling with the obstacles and the attacks and the different things, and even ourselves that we wrestle with. God, I pray this week that you'd be bringing power and illumination to people's lives to give them the breakthrough and the victory and the next steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's the conclusion of our service today. Guys, thanks for joining us. I'll see you next week. Uh, If you need prayer, there's going to be a team right up over here on my left. If you would like to receive prayer, they'd be happy to pray with you. We'll see you later.